Hello everyone and welcome to a special episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. This week we are absolutely delighted to be joined by Alex Muzio of Royal Union saint For those who don't know anything about Union saint I don't know how you wouldn't, you'd been hiding under a rock for a very, very long time. They are 11-time Belgian champions, two-time Belgian cup winners and currently absolutely storming ahead at the top of the table just got off the back of a derby win over Anderlecht at time of recording. Alex, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the Belgian Football Podcast. True pleasure. Long-time listener, first-time guest. (laughs) Absolutely. And we are also joined by Scott. Scott, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Really excited to have a chat to Alex because as we've been finding out over a long period of time now, lots of people are asking questions they really should know the answer to about Union. So for us, this is about delving a bit deeper into to what's going on and getting a little bit behind the fairy tale to give people some answers as to what exactly is going on. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely absolutely yeah let's just dive straight in so i guess first question Alex. let's kind of start right at the beginning and if you could just take us back to 2018 when you and tony actually purchased union how did you go about identifying union as the club you wanted to get into and what was it about the club that made it the right choice for you so we were looking for a long time say 15 to 18 months we were very enamored by the fan base very enamored by the the spirit of the fans very enamored by the positivity of the fans And look, I think as foreign investors into football, you want to try and find a project that you will make people happy. It sounds, it might not sound right, but ultimately football is about the fans and there's no point in doing something if if everyone isn't involved in in, in in that move. And I think it helped that Union already had a foreign owner, for example, who had been welcomed and then there was positivity around it. You know, we'd looked into, you know, I'd looked into a few teams and if a team's owned by a local guy who's born in the city and round the corner, a bit like a bit like Tony Bloom at Brighton, as an example, then I think anyone could take over, and some people would certainly be disappointed because they'd feel like they're not, you know, it's not it's not quite what it was. So that, that that's certainly one thing. Belgium, as you may have guessed from the fact that seven one B teams now are owned by foreign ownership and there's a lot of foreign ownership in 1A is very, is, is an attractive league for foreign ownership. Sure, sure the reasons and documented, but essentially it's extremely easy to get work permits for non-EU players. There is no restriction on foreign ownership. So that's like entry point number one, right? There is countries like Germany where you essentially cannot buy a controlling stake in the team due to the rules of, of the country. And just generally the football is, is very good quality throughout. So, if you compare it to Holland, for example, although Ajax currently are unbelievable and obviously have been extremely high level for a long time, but right now are really, really at the top of their game. The depth of quality in Holland is not really there. The, the 14th team in Belgium would beat the 14th team in Holland quite easily, for example. In terms of discussing other, in terms of other leagues, for example, <laughs> sounds, sounds, in previous interviews when I've talked about this, it's, it's felt a, a very long way away, but we... We wanted to be able to realistically win a title without competing with mega billionaires, which ruled out France, Italy, Spain, England, as well as Germany for other reasons. So the next best league in terms of a consistent quality league is Belgium. Portugal, again, has some exceptional teams, hence having an extremely good UEFA coefficient. But oh, Outside of the big teams in Portugal, the quality really, really drops off. So that's why that's that's some other reasons why Belgium, again, in terms of Union, look, didn't want to buy a top division team generally because we wanted to we wanted to 
take a club uh, on a journey and know that in football, you will have good seasons. Sometimes you'll have bad seasons. And we wanted to always be quite a long way ahead of where we started, if that makes sense. So I kind of get the feeling now, I don't like talking about other clubs so much as, as, a, as a negative example, and I'm not trying to, but I feel like Ostend, for example, were taken over when they were really in trouble. There was, a, there was, there was genuine worries about bankruptcy and heavy debts. They have one season after that where everything is on fuego and uh, they nearly make playoff one. And now this season, not so good. And there's, you know, there's murmurings. It's not, you know, there's not, people aren't staging sit-ins or anything, but there's, there's, there's murmurings, right? Whereas I feel like if, if, if we have a, had had a season like Ostend did last season, this season, and then next season we were having the season that Ostend were having, I feel like our supporters would still be a... Hey, this is great. We're in one A. We're playing. We're playing all the big boys. We're having some good games. You know what I mean, right? There's a lot of that. No, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And I think you've kind of led on to my second question a little bit in talking about kind of like why you got them. But what was kind of what was the initial plan when you took over? Like, what was the kind of first objective? And then obviously, like you said, long term objective is to win the league, and you're doing pretty well at that at the moment. But did did that kind of surprise you that it would happen this quickly that you guys would come straight into one A and suddenly be like, oh, we're top of the league? Where how is this coming back? Are you kind of been like, actually, no, yeah, this is kind of where we expected to be. So that's 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 a long question. I'll, I'll try and answer it as succinctly as possible. So when we took over, we did suggest that we were hoping to get promoted within three years. Now that first season, Mekela came down, which was not expected I would say at the time and really that was not that was not ideal because they had an enormous budget and a really decent team we thought that they were extraordinarily unfortunate to get relegated that season and played very well so that that was a problem obviously Biersch got out a big budget Lerva had a big budget at the time as well uh, but we set the three years as, 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 a, as a plan hoping that it would be sooner it ended up being three years now at that point, if you'd have said to me in the fourth season, you'd have a chance of doing as well as this, I probably wouldn't have believed it was possible. But I would have thought we would be quite good by, by now, I would say. Now, the thing that I think might be a little bit under discussed is the fact that we were in 1B and we had in 1B, it, it, there's no revenue, just to be clear. Television money is 500,000 euros. So you're relying on additional revenue there from commercial and ticketing okay if any team in 1b tries to run itself on a level budget they essentially will be awful relative to the quality of the league it's not possible to survive in that league which is why we especially as it was with one promoted and seven not promoted essentially which is why we fought at the time to make it one and a half and have a barrage at the end of the uh, end of the season. So with that in mind, when COVID hit, we were much less affected in terms of our turnover and revenue streams than other teams. Not to say we weren't affected. Of course, we were affected. We were affected financially by the lack of by the lack of ticketing, and obviously all of us were affected in terms of just how empty stadiums and it's just sad. It's just not real football, is it? But the other teams in 1A have certainly been much harder hit. You know, the Gents of this world who have got a lovely stadium with, with, with lots of possible hospitality and expensive tickets, their budgets have been really badly hit. And so for the last 21 months, whereas we've not been so impacted, they've been heavily impacted. And I think that this season, for example, those teams 
have not been able to invest in the way that they might otherwise have been able to do, uh, which has certainly helped us and 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 made us yeah made us be able to have a a bigger budget relative to them than we would have done. No, that's really interesting. Yeah, especially about what you say about 1B and kind of what we see happening there at the moment in terms of all the investment that is kind of piling into some of those clubs who are looking to get out because, yeah, we've always joked it's an absolute scrap down there in terms of getting out when only one goes up for definite and twos in the playoffs. Let's go a little bit outside and talk about kind of the club as a whole in general and kind of the influence and identity of the club. Mm -hmm. How much does the pre-identity of the club kind of impact on the decision-making process that you guys take? Well, we're immensely fortunate that my own personal views on football and the way that I, the way that I am is very mirrored in the fan base. So that makes it very straightforward indeed. It must be very difficult if you're an investor in a club and you have it very, very different because ultimately you're a custodian of the club and you should, you should take decisions that the fan base want. It turns, in our case, it's very fortunate because the sympathetic nature of the support base, the positivity, the anti-racism, the anti-fascism, all of the, you know, the community spirit, etc., and is very much part of my my own personal ethos and beliefs. So that makes it much more, you know, that makes it very much. I don't have to think what the supporters like me to do here. I just kind of think, you know, how would I want this to this to work you know for its i mean it's not all about finance but for example at the start of the season we've we've been promoted we're playing in 1a we haven't had ticket revenue for ages and you know we've got big games coming up but the season tickets are still extraordinarily cheaper in your 145 euros you get yourself a you get yourself a gift as well so you know that sort of mentality is good and obviously we're the only te- i think we're the only team in belgium with a head of sustainability who, who works hard to make sure that we have the lowest carbon footprint we can possibly have and and also just how can we how can we be better how can we how can we work hard at the moment we're trying to become a b corp for example which is a worldwide standard of good governance and and good ethics inside a, a business not that we're a business we're a football club but it's still you can still get the label as, as as a football club no that is really interesting i think i'd like to kind of divert that into kind of does that play into kind of player recruitment as well do you look at players and think will they fit this kind of value identity in the mold because we've got some I know that you've got like a background in data and we everyone talks a lot about kind of data in football in terms of recruitment but how important is that alongside kind of the player personality and the player kind of buying into the vision and value of a club so in terms of believing in our environmental sustainability or anything like that that's not that's not important that's not that's not something that a player needs to needs to be involved in needs to appreciate needs to be active and in, in, in engaged in because that's not you know that's that's not it's not necessarily something that someone should have to do to become a player here or a staff member here because it's just not it's not right but in terms of fitting in with the culture and the values of the team absolutely every player that that is something that we have to we have to have and Chris O'Loughlin is extremely, I would describe him as extremely good at sizing up players, whether they will fit into fit into our mentality. Yeah, no, definitely. We can kind of see that with kind of togetherness that the team has on the pitch, um, especially when uh, Nielsen scored that goal against Anderlet, you could just tell the players all together. So I think we should probably talk about the man that's kind of telling them what to do and pointing the fingers and kind of pushing them around on the pitch. Let's talk about Felice Mazu, of course, like how instrumental is he in kind of building that togetherness that the team's had and how much have you guys lent on his experience of Belgium 
football to kind of guide you in how you do things as well. So when we took over, he was the reigning uh, Raymond Gothel's uh, trophy winner. And uh, I remember speaking to speaking to someone here who knows a lot about Belgium, you know, who, who's our expert on Belgian football. And he was saying how amazing he is at creating a good team spirit and how he keeps the squad together and you no know, and focused on their goals and you don't in keeping the substitutes involved as well and the other squad members right and i kept a you know kept a good good eye on on his um, on, on on him as as the years went by and you know i read a lot of spend my life reading belgian football media and very regularly you 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 get ex players doing interviews before, say, you know, Genk versus Team X while he was at Genk or Charleroi, another team, and they would say, Felice Amazou, he's amazing. He, bringing everyone together, treating everyone as a, as a human, as an individual, caring about you and, and engendering an amazing team spirit. And that's, without a doubt, also continued here. There's something about Felice that's always kind of struck me as really interesting in that, of course, he has a background as a teacher as well, along with, you know, you know a couple of other really, really famous Footballing legends, obviously, Renus Meikles, uh, which most people will know. He was a teacher before uh, before really getting his big break in, in football. And uh, Louis van Gaal as well, nearly gave up football kind of completely to be, to be a teacher. So there, there's clearly something in the way that you nurture people and, and just the nature of being a head coach that I think is... Is, is, is in him already um, anyway and you'll know as a regular listener that when I've been talking about Felix a lot this season I've been so impressed by his mentality you can see how he instills that into the team but particularly I suppose from his own point of view as a coach his choices really stand out to me it's very very unusual that a coach would be just as relentlessly positive that, that's the only way I can kind of describe his approach and that 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 is absolutely infectious I know I think sometimes he has to keep himself in check and is able to release it at certain moments usually after games usually dance yeah yeah and do a bit of dancing which is a perfect way to kind of you know yeah throw some shapes and uh, relax a little bit yeah in front of the faithful absolutely but he just you know this yeah it's the choices he makes you know most coaches you know you go down to 10 men virtually all coaches take off take off a striker or or an attacking midfielder and shore things up all over the place Felice will do absolutely the opposite of that and that that you know as I was saying last week I think you know that that rewards itself or you would hope it does and I think it's continually done that this season particularly with the squad really buying into obviously what he says and, and, and the relationship he has with them and it's so obvious to see in watching games that you know what I mean they want to play for him and they enjoy playing with each other you know you, you can really tell that in the body language of players you know even when they're trying to hide it and it's it's such a kind of special chemistry he's got on there but I, I just find the the background as a teacher I think really 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 interesting I think I totally agree I've, I've never heard I haven't heard Van Hal being referred to as a nurturer for <laughs> quite a long time but yeah yeah, I, yeah. No, I agreed with the lot um I think I think his game management is 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 quite incredible. It really is. This season, we've been in the lead a lot, as you would imagine from the league table, right? And God, we we don't, you know, there's no, there's very little 70 minutes or whatever repetitive pattern, whatever minute it is, repetitive pattern of how we handle the game, right? We don't, you know, some, some coaches like to do, right, we're winning the game. It's minute X. I'm going to bring on a defensive midfielder for either a striker or an attacking midfielder, and that's how we're going to see the game out. 
he doesn't do that. He, he He's analysing the opponent and trying to find the best way to win the game. And again, you know, as you say, when we went down to 10 against Salang and we bring on Matoma, I mean, I mean, you know, this, you know, and when we were 10 men against uh, Genk, sorry, Oris, I know, I know you're not here, but still, uh, sorry, uh, we, we, you know, we didn't, we ended up with one centre, we ended up, we ended up with one defender on the pitch. We, 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 we only had 10 men, we're playing, we're playing away against, a, you know, one of the best teams in the country. So, yeah, he's... He's he's a special special coach, that's for sure. Yeah, no, definitely, and we've really enjoyed every, everything he's brought to one A this season. Obviously, we can't not talk about the current league position and everything that's going on there. And I guess there's a question around: Has it changed? Maybe in terms of recruitment, maybe in terms of other things, the way you've looked to the future now in terms of bringing players in and stuff. Have you been like, okay, we can actually go for targets mm. that would previously we weren't able to go and get what what is what has been very interesting is that you'll have seen our january business so we ended up signing koki machida Alejandro milan cameron puertas kasper kozlowski the number of players that we had to contact in this january window in order to make a signing was lower than any other period that's probably the thing that 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 sort of stands out to me you know the we know what's realistic. We know what's not realistic, right? We, we have a documented, we have about the third lowest budget in the league and we have a very uh, flat structure in terms of salaries. We don't have, say, the strikers on up here and the, the, uh, and, the and the defenders on lower and it's quite a flat structure. And, you know, we only approach situations knowing how much a normal player in this team at this league would earn. But regularly will you know regularly in the past anyway we were getting a lot of no no we're looking for something different no no we're looking for a different league no no we're looking for a different country no no we're looking for more money no no whereas this winter there was there was a lot more people willing to answer the phone willing to willing willing to talk willing to (laughs) make efforts to try and strike a deal Uh, that was that was definitely noteworthy in terms of where we're looking i don't think that's going to change very much we're never going to be able to sign from the big five leagues. They're just on crazy money relative to our to our budget. But yeah, that's that's the big difference so far. I don't know whether it will continue into the summer. Monday morning, I have a long um, a long meeting scheduled with with Chris to discuss our summer plans. So we get Chris gets a few days off after working twenty hours that twenty hour days, and then uh, straight back into it on Monday. That's actually segues quite up. We've got a couple of listener questions. Um, I'm sure they're listening and kind of begging for us to ask some of them. So there's two. I'll start with the first one, which you kind of just answered, but we can we'll ask it for the sake of having asked it. Um, does the club have plans for the potential loss of key players in the summer? Like, I presume that's part of the discussions. We do, and I'll, I will use I'll use five thirty eight numbers just just so that there's a neutral party involved. But we're well over the 90, 90 odd percents to be in the top four. And if you finish in the top four, the way the cup is now, we're pretty likely to end up playing in Europe in some capacity next season. And when you do that, you naturally need a bigger squad than if you don't. So the the good thing, as far as I'm as far as I'm concerned, and as far as the discussions have gone with both Felice and Chris, it, it, is that we're going to need to sign before in in the summer window players without without even without anyone leaving mm. so we don't need to we don't need to necessarily plan for players to leave because for players for players to leave or expecting players to leave because people send us offers that we can't, you know, we can't we can't say no to or the player wants to leave or, or for whatever reason 
we can actually go out and, and try and sign players now, knowing that we need additional mm. additional personnel. So that's the first. Those are the first boxes to tick: is bringing in the the additional players that we need. And for example, you know, we signed Dennis in Feb, March, probably March or April. We signed Christian in April. We signed, you know, we, we've made we've made quite a few signings in earlier than the yeah. end of April for the following uh, for the following summer, and we plan to do the same this season. Uh, you know, players whose contracts are expiring, who don't have an option, who uh, we're permitted to speak to. No, yeah, definitely, and I think again that kind of segues nice into another listener question, which was kind of how much input do you personally have on transfer policy? Personally, in terms of watching any players and giving my own opinion. Uh, Literally zero. <laughs> I don't believe that I have any special eye for a player in any way, shape or form. And I think that it's important that people know their strengths and their weaknesses. And one of my strengths is certainly not watching a footballer and saying he's going to be really good in the Belgian Pro League. In terms of data, I would, what I would suggest is that there is a lot of different things that a player needs to, to do and to, to not do in order to become a player at Union. And personality is big. The opinion of the staff is big. Data is also important. It, but it's it's you know it's it's a tool in the toolbox. It's a it's it's one it's one arrow in the an arrow holder. And and that's it. It's not it's not the be all and end all. There's lots of other things that are important. One thing one thing for example, I think we underrated in 2018 is is availability. Funnily enough, you know I think I think it's players that play a lot, right? They, they, over several different coaches, over several different clubs. There's something very positive about that information. I mean, it sounds obvious, mm. I, I suppose. Yeah. But at the same time, not being injured, not being suspended, not annoying your coach enough for him to drop you, not, you know, for whatever reason, always being available and always playing has to be has to be a very important thing. And I think very easy in 2022 for people to get YouTube clips of someone looking amazing. But when you look, well, they've played very spotty games. They've been on the bench a lot. They've, they've, they've been injured quite a bit. The coach has dropped them quite a bit. That's, that's certainly important as well. So yeah, there's a lot of different, there's certainly a lot of different ingredients. And look, one other thing I would say in terms of recruitment is that you can't sign, you can't you can't aim to have 20, 20, 22 to 25 in a squad, say. You can't aim to have 22 to 25 players who are all going to start every game because they're going to get, they're going to get annoyed the coach is going to be frustrated that they're, you know, that he can't manage the situation. You need a good mix of of youth experience as well as more more higher profile and lower profile. You need people who who accept their role and and and, and are happy with their role. And you know, Luca Pirar is, is a great example. He's he's been fantastic attitude wise since he's arrived. When Anthony Morris couldn't play against Charlois, stepped in, clean sheet. Wonderful, you know, just you know, and he he's he's got it. You know, you need to find backup goalkeepers. The mentality is absolutely key, right? There's no point in having if you had if you had Courtois and Allison on the same squad. I'm not sure it would go great, you know. Because, not because I'm not saying either of them got bad mentality, <laughs> but I'm not playing. It's not exactly uh, not exactly uh, delighted about the situation. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point actually because you know I think there's an assumption from people outside who don't watch a lot of Belgian football who've only very recently picked up on what's happening uh, with you guys at the moment, which actually is I keep telling people 
both on and off the record, where you haven't been watching because you know this isn't this is not really as recent as I think a lot of people seem to think it is. There's a lot of hard work that's gone in here that kind of predates this season, I think. Uh, that, that people have definitely forgotten about, and obviously fans, you know, see see what's happening at the moment, and and assume that that a lot of money has has been spent. And again, you know, it's an ad nauseum thing. You know, I, I mean, the guys say a lot to other people. Well, actually, no, you're completely wrong. This is really about very careful use of data and recruitment, uh, and on a very skillful level, in 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 the right way. And, and and a club that that was that was in a place that actually was was. As, as you've already talked about, you know, had a lot of ripe ingredients there that in in the right hands was 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 potentially capable of going on 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 the journey that it's on, on on at the moment. So I mean I don't how do you feel specifically, Alex, about you know that sort of lazy approach that a lot of people have about the slight the sort of the, the, the fairy tale aspect. I was saying to the guys the other day that it, you know because I hear it a lot it's becoming kind of slightly tiresome because I know that actually there's some really smart, clever stuff um, and some great work going on there, and it's it's. I, I like people to find out a bit more about that than assuming that this is a kind of happy accident because you know it definitely it definitely definitely isn't. How do you feel about that? Oh, couldn't 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 affect me much less. I'm afraid to say. I'm just uh, very happy with the way things are going, and you know people can find out about stuff how they like. I mean, obviously you're right about it not just being this season. Nine of the 11 starters, I would say, played in 1B last year. I mean, they did romp to 70 points out of 84, but yeah, you know, they did start in, in 1B, you know, so yeah, you're right. I mean, it's definitely not a one season thing, right? It's, it's you know, which is, by the way, I mean, the fact that we got 70 out of 84 points last year and I've lost count how many points we've got this year, but it's, it's, it's been a long, it's been, it's been a long run. It's been a long run. It's uh I'm hoping it's not going to stop anytime soon. I'm aware that football doesn't quite work that way and uh, it will stop at some point. But, you know, let's hope it doesn't stop before June. How's that? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, just moving quickly back to speak a little bit more, baby, about Chris. I kind of pick up what you said about, like, yeah, about people making those nice little YouTube clips. I mean, if we relied on YouTube mm-hmm. scouts to uh, sign players, I reckon so many random players would end up in random places. You'd get the old... Graham Soonis and um, what's his name's brother's son or whatever his name was, um, getting a couple of games in for Southampton. So with Chris and Felicia, how how much input does Felicia have in terms of what Chris does? Does he kind of go to Chris and say, this is kind of the position I need filled? And then Chris goes and does it? Or is there a little bit more kind of to and fro between them? So first thing to say is that, yes, Felicia will come you know, and have meetings together. And he'll say what he's looking for specifically in terms of positions, type of player, you know, all sorts of different things like that. Second thing is again, Chris will Chris will go and and work on work on lists that he that he has of, of of players. But I think it's important to note that there's no, in my opinion, that Felice not coming with knowing all of the players in all of the world and suggesting names. That's no that's no flaw. That's it's the opposite of a flaw. It's 2022. There's thousands upon thousands of football matches. Uh, on a monthly basis, let alone an, an annual basis, and to expect someone to be a high-level coach, to know all the players intimately, to have a good relationship with the players, to 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 pick the appropriate tactics for the next week, and also know all of that. There's no one human that can do that. That's not. It's not in the history of football. Those people have existed, and but they 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 existed in an era 
where the where you recruited was not global, right? You know, you look at the Celtic team that won the the European Cup just because I, I think there might be someone on the podcast that would quite like that. All of the players born within ten miles of Glasgow, for example. Yeah, that in that era, I'm sure you could be the manager, right? You could be the man. You could do all the recruitment. You could do all the coach. You could do everything because you're only recruiting within ten miles of the city you're in, right? It's not like that anymore. It doesn't. You have to have distinct roles, distinct responsibilities. Otherwise, you, you know, you're never going to make anything. So yeah, that, that's that's sort of the process. Yeah, Felice is Felice is you know will will we'll be in touch to say he thinks he needs this position or that position and 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 what sort of attributes that player needs and 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 we'll go and try and find. Him. Well, I mean, it's working pretty well so far. <laughs> so I think no need to change that. And um, yeah, I guess one more kind of us question and there's a couple of the listener ones I want to get to this one kind of just talk about the new stadium I'm sure lots of people have watched uh, Union games this season because they are interested they've seen the fantastic uh, Josef Marion stadium and like kind of the history there the like just everything about it just screams kind of like retro football that people love kind of hipster football all that sort of stuff how are the new stadium plans kind of progressing and how are you going to try and keep that kind of feel and vibe that you get at the Joseph Marin into a new stadium first thing to say is totally agree I love it I love the state I love that stadium and I love that type of stadium right you you have you ever been no not yet we're coming, we're coming. modern football you know sadly you know, you tend to go to some some motorway, and there's a there's a petrol station, and then there's a then there's a stadium, and there's nothing around it. You know, it's not yeah, you know, is what it is. But you walk up to our stadium, and it's just there. So you're walking down the road, and it's just this beautiful Art Deco stadium. You're in a you know in the park. I mean, it's yeah, it's stuff that dreams are made on, really. Uh, and the atmosphere is unbelievable. And if 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 we manage to get permission, and if we manage to build a stadium, then Marianne will, will will stay as it is. You know, the women, will, the girls' team will play there. The youth team will play there. There will be events there. I would have thought we'll play at least at least a friendlier summer there, if not if not if not more than that in theory. But look, as you can see from the, I, th- I think I think the last nine months have been incredibly helpful in terms of helping people understand why we feel the need to potentially build a new stadium. Because as I said. We are now quite likely to be in Europe next year, and we won't be able to play there, and, and, and that's a shame. That's a real shame, just generally. But it's also a shame that we're going to lose home advantage for that game. It's going to make it harder for for us to do well in Europe. But look, there's no the people that live around that stadium are used to a few hundred people going to the games for a long time, right? And yes, they make a yes. We've always made a lot of noise, and yes, there's always been people spilling out into the streets. But we have reached another level, and it's becoming you know it's becoming. I would imagine quite a nuisance for people that live in in that area, first of all. Second of all, one has to remember that as good as we are now, when we were in 1B and we were doing quite well in 1B, if it was a midweek game or it was a night game and it was raining, attendance, you know, did, did, did go down quite a lot, as you would imagine, because there's not a lot of protection from the wind in the middle of a forest, in the middle of a park. With no roof, right? That's another thing. The experience for the fan, even when the weather is delightful, is a real issue. The queues for for alcohol, the queues for toilets are just you know I'm embarrassed by it. There's nothing I can do about it. We do our best. We try, we try to get the best staff we can get. We try to we try to make the best facilities we can make. But you know, it's not a lot of room. It's a listed area. It's not the experience that supporters deserve. 
aside from that, there's no there's no hospitality places either. There's no parking places. Look, as much as I love going to the stadium, I get a slightly different experience to the average fan. Probably, I hold my hands up. I mean, I have been in, I have been with the band several times, and the experience is not quite the same. So I'm able to judge. Put it that way. How are we going to keep the the atmosphere? Is is was the sort of the follow up question. The the plan is to have. Uh, an east stand, so that is all. St- there is a there's a terrace first of all, so that would be the first. Thing. Second thing is, look, very early to be talking about ticket prices or anything like that because we haven't even got permission to build a stadium yet. But if we build a terrace, the ticket prices will stay very low, so people are able to the same people are able to come. It's obviously crucial that it's near enough that it that that, that, that everyone can come, which current plans it would be we need we need to make the the transport as good as we can possibly make it we need to make the beer cheap you know we need to we need to keep the community spirit we need to keep the atmosphere going we need to keep the family the family vibe we need to we need to encourage the same values that we have been in, been encouraging and hopefully if if we did end up moving we can keep the same atmosphere at, at a new at a new ground no that's great yeah i feel i do feel slightly personally attacked about the motorway stadium because that's definitely my club redden no station near it and no pub near it has been massive away fan vibe so <laughs> i am very much looking forward to hopefully getting out there i guess kind of speak about english football clubs there's definitely a question that i know we probably should ask from one of our listeners uh, obviously to do with the brighton connection we've just seen Undav's made that that move there. Now come back. Matoma, Kozlowski as well have made the move from the South Coast over to... Sorry, some fireworks going off in Brighton at the moment, which we are. Uh, anyway, so I guess one of the questions that we have from listeners is, can you guarantee that you won't become a satellite club for Brighton, like we've seen with, I guess, Salang, with Mets and a couple of the other teams in the Pro League? Yes. You, you asked earlier, actually, how I felt about people mis, you know, misinterpreting how well we're doing as either a flash in the pan or a this season thing only, right? I said it didn't really bother me. That's, that was true. But the misinterpretation of the way that we are does bother me because I think it, it portrays us it portrays us as a as a pet or as, a, as something that we're not. And I, you know, I get emotional about. It. I think I think we're very, I think we're a very positive story. I think we've tried to do everything the right way. I think we've tried to engage the fans in the right way. I think we've tried to engage the community in the right way. If you talk about the Brighton connection, for example, versus say some other teams that you you can list, right? We took over took over the team first year. We had one person on loan. He won player of the division, not player of the team, but player of the division. The next season we had someone on loan. They played about twenty minutes. That was it. One 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 player. <laughs> and he got sent off. By the way. Our match for, for, for the niche listeners. This season we had Alex Cochran. He played maybe five, six, seven games and then got injured, unfortunately. He might have played a bit more. So we're talking about three low knees in three years. I mean, I don't know what... I mean, if, if some of those other teams that you're listing were, were, were doing that, I think it would be a pretty <laughs> failed project if they were trying to be father son and they only managed to loan them three players in three years. So, yeah, it's not... That's not it's not the idea. It's not the way that it is. It's not the setup. As you mentioned, look, Tony came to the uh, Andalette game on Saturday. It's the first game we've been to for a couple of years. Most of the staff <laughs> members that met him have never, have never spoken to him. Didn't they? He might just be like a like a mythological creature who uh, you know, and they see pictures of him, but you know, not really there. But yeah, so it, it's. It is what it is. People can say what they want to say. People can interpret things the way they want to interpret it. But the reality is, is that so far one player has left Union to go to Brighton. And that was not long ago. And hey, I don't know what I can say. 
a, a Premier League side has bought the top scorer in in Belgium, the top goal plus assist maker in all leagues in all the top ten leagues in Europe. I mean, I don't I don't think anyone should be too surprised about that sentence. The fact it happens to have been an extremely well run football club in Brighton Hove Albion that has bought that player also should probably not surprise people too much. That it happens to be Union. I mean, yeah, of course. I mean, it's natural that people put put the two things together. But I think that if the, if that if the player was playing as well as him for another team in Belgium, there is every chance that Brighton of Albion would would have been interested in in this and and completed the deal. If you look at Brighton's transfers over the years, I think they've done quite a lot of quite a lot of transfers in the Low Countries, for example, and 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 non main leagues. Again, I don't think I don't think that that one deal should surprise anyone. No, definitely, and I think. With Undav, anyway, if you just took that profile of player, like you said, he'd slot into Brighton's system the way they want to play, the way that um, Potter wants to play is Undav does fit into that system. And yeah, like like you were saying, if you look at your squad in terms of your starting eleven, how many of those lone players from Brighton are actually starting? Like obviously Matoma has, but like now with his injury, he hasn't. But against Anderlecht, it was all kind of a completely different side in that sense that like Kostovsky obviously came on. One, one more thing I would say is that I think, I think the people that... The people that think that should have a look at Moises Caicedo, for example. You know, this is a guy who's playing for Ecuador every week and he was quality for Beerschot when he played, right? It was a much better loan for Brighton Hove Albion to send him to Beerschot because he was going to play every week and they want they wanted that position, okay? If he'd have come to Union, he might not have played as much, might have stifled his development, but no one, no one, you know, there was no, right, this has got to happen, right? Of course you know, I'm, I'm, you know, this is the way it is, you know? So you can see from that, that it's just not quite the same. Brighton did actually loan another player to Belgium yesterday. I don't know if you saw. Giant of a man, Kjell Scherfen to, uh, to Ostender. So I'm not looking forward to... I'm hoping Kjell Huber <laughs> manages to uh, hold him off. For I game. mean, you did a right against him last time, I guess. But, so <laughs> um, That's all my questions. Scott, if you've got any others... I'll hand over to you now. Yeah, I just had one other one I wanted to ask you, actually, Alex, about has the, the sort of pace of success in terms of the overall project kind of surprised you? And has that, has that led to you altering just, you know, your overall your overall approach? Or or has actually that just been, you know, something you've kind of taken in your stride? You just, you know, respond to it as, as it happens? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's I'm surprised, obviously I'm surprised with nine points clear at the top of the project, just to be clear. Like, that's the first answer. Yes, it, it, it definitely surprised the, the extent of the, the league table. Now, I think we've been excellent this season, absolutely excellent. But we have also had some slight fortune in terms of the performances have resulted in slightly more points than maybe you would expect. Maybe I think we'd still be top, but maybe not by nine points to start with. Now, does it change how we view things and approach things going forward? I think it's very important that we that we try and stay in a framework that makes sense. I think there's there's, there's examples in the history of Belgian football where teams have, have had excellent seasons, moved up budgets. And I tell you, when you move up a budget in a football club, getting that budget down is extraordinarily difficult. Primarily, of course, because generally speaking, the biggest expense in a football club's budget is the player's wages. And when you offer a player, when you've had a good season, an X-year contract, generally the X is not a one. So the the getting the budget down after that you know, you've, you've you've increased the budget, and now the season's ended. Now, for example, if we were to start, if we were to suddenly increase our budget in terms of contracts for players and the possibilities, and then we had a bad season the following season, that would therefore mean, right, that you've suddenly got a higher budget. Players are not performing the same. What do you do then? 
Hey, you can either keep the same players that weren't performing. Coach probably not very happy about that. Fans probably not very happy with that. Or you can try and do do magic by recruiting players for less salary, but expect them to be better. That's not it's not it's not very uh, it's not the easiest of tasks in in football. So I would say for now. We have no plans to rapidly expand the budget. Still have We still have the same restrictions in terms of stadium revenue that we've had before. I would say in my, in my, own, in, in, in my own vision for the club, which can always, can always change the circumstances, if we manage to build a stadium, that would be when the budget would be able to go up by a, in a step change rather than incrementally, because in theory, you're bringing in so much more revenue on an annual basis and the club can be so much more secure for the long term. You know, we, we want to get to a place where Union, after we leave, is obviously in a much better place than we arrive, but also can stand on its own two feet for generations to come. Fantastic. You get anything else, Ben? No, I think that's all from me. Alex, as, as we said at the beginning, thank you so much for taking time out to speak to us. I'm sure the listeners are going to enjoy it. I'm sure they're all wishing, well, those who are neutral, that's for sure, all wishing you great success going forward. Uh, <laughs> Chris is hoping we win the title. He can't still be. <laughs> no, he's given up on gank making the playoffs. Yeah. I think. Sorry, 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 sorry. He, he, gave, he gave that sorry. up quite a while ago. Yeah. I think you know between you and us, he, he did. He was he was honest. Yeah. Yeah. He realised that, that that ship had sailed. The Conde said they're dreaming of the top four today. You make the top four points a half. Anyone can win it. Brilliant. Anyway, yeah, no, thank you so much, Alex. And thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode. We'll see you very soon on another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast.